You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, also known as your joyologist. On this podcast, I love having real conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me, getting into the journey of their lives. I love just following and seeing what worked, what didn't, you know, what they followed, why, why they changed their mind. I do this with the purpose that it hopefully brings you compassion for yourself and your own journey in your life, that it empowers you to get out of your own way, to see you're not too late, too early, whatever. I really, truly hope that these conversations empower you. And I'd love to hear from you if they do. First of all, follow the podcast. They call it following instead of subscribing now. Rate it. If you're on Spotify, you can now rate the podcast. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review. If you do, you can screenshot that review and send it to podcast at yourdoyologist.com. And I will send you a gift from my product line. All right, today's episode, I got to have a conversation with Julie Longyear. She is the person behind my favorite skincare line that you likely have heard me talking about in previous episodes, Blissoma. I loved hearing, how did she get to skincare? Because it makes sense, but yeah, interesting thing. How did she end up becoming the person that created this amazing holistic skincare line. I really loved talking to Julie. I really love the products. Let's get into her story. Okay, so I like starting with learning about how you grew up, but most importantly, the high school years, because I feel like that time in our lives can be so formative and challenging. And like, there's a lot of pressure on ourselves and from the external world of like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> that was not something that I had any idea what what was going to happen at that point. Like if you would have told me where I'd be now, I would have been like, crazy. How did that happen? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a very long winding path. Definitely, I would say high school was when I I started to really become my own person. I started making more decisions for myself and um, defying my parents. Um, I had a very loving you know, home that I grew up in. And I think it was very mysterious to them when I started basically resisting everything that they wanted for me. What did they, yeah, what, like, give us some examples. What did they want for you? Yeah, like, what does this look like of making decisions for yourself? Well, I think, I think my parents were very uh, heavily invested in us. And as I've gotten older, I've really gotten the chance to appreciate just how much they gave us, like in terms of art lessons and ballet lessons. And I had flute lessons and sports teams and all kinds of stuff like that. I did classes at the art museum. You know, we just did all kinds of enriching activities. There was a lot of imaginative play. My mom always encouraged us like draw, you know, she was the number one fan of like my drawings. And um, every time I would get something done, I would be like, look what I did. And, you know, they would, she would be like, that's amazing, honey. So it was always very supportive. And then so much to their surprise, both their kids wanted to go into the arts. <laughs> so they, you know, they were much more of a practical generation where 
you know, they, they were a little concerned that a path like that might not result in financial security. Um, and in some ways, rightly so, because it is, it is harder to define how things are going to work out when you choose a creative path, um, as you, you know, you may have a sense for this as well, especially having talked to many other people and, you know, doing your own thing. I think the harder thing for other people to understand is that you, because only that person can see the path ahead, it is hard for someone else to envision what might be possible for them. And so that gets very unnerving when you're a parent and you're concerned about the future of your child. You look ahead and you say, I don't even know. I don't know what, what, what will happen or what you'll do. And it's not for them to know. I think that's the hard part too of parenting is that like, it, it isn't for them to know. It's for the child to figure out and like go on their own path. But when you care and love your kids so much, it can be very scary to, you know, have them embark on a path like that when that's not your experience. Like my dad was an engineer and my mom was a school teacher. So both very defined career paths and, you know, working for other people. And I happened to take more after my grandpa, who was um, an entrepreneur, uh, my grandpa's on both sides, um, but who had unique personalities. And I think that also uh, created some nervousness as well, because like, you know, they, they, I think they just worried about what those traits might um, bring about. And so, but fortunately I have enough of their sort of like organized, go like get things done with the program. Like I, I have both that creative side and the logical more like concrete side. And so um, which is, it is not super common. Like some people really are heavily more one way or the other. Yeah. I'm pretty balanced. Sure. And so that has really helped me um, create that path forward. Uh, so, but basically I, you know, I was interested in going to art school. So like, yeah, that's what, so that's came up when you're in high school and then the start to decisions of like, where are you going to go to college? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your major going to be sort of thing that you wanted to go to art school and they're like, Oh, very clearly. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, they were a little because that is even like, right, you're going to art school, not just like going to a regular or a university and then like having that focus probably is even a bigger jump of going to an art school. Yeah, so that was my primary interest. And I actually also graduated a year early from high school, um, partly because of the tensions at home. And I was just really restless in high school, I had taken a lot of um, extra hours. Like we had what we called early hour in the mornings that you could take. And initially I started off taking that because I was interested in being in a lot of art courses. So I was in two choir courses per day. Um, I was in both concert choir and swing choir, and then also taking visual arts classes. And so to load my schedule so heavily up with that stuff, I had to kind of take care of some of more of my practical stuff by taking these extra classes. So I had a very full day. And then when, you know, I hit early junior year, I was just like, get me the heck out of this place. Like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Was it out of the high school or out of like, I wanted out of high school and I, I was going to a very good high school. Um, so it's not like I didn't have challenging curriculum or, you know, caring teachers. It was one of the better high schools in the area. And, and I've also gotten a chance to appreciate that more as I've gotten older, but I was just ready to go. And it was partly the, like we were fighting a lot at home over, you know, I wanted more independence and they were just not comfortable giving it. 
And we just had very different personalities. And so in order to preserve um, our relationship, at some point, they were just like, fine, you can graduate early. And so I did some correspondence courses, packed those into my schedule. I was not getting a lot of sleep that last year in high school. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of coffee. Yeah, because that's like a totally different thing than like, oh, eventually, like early on, you skipped a grade somehow or something of you like being like, no, let me cram this extra year in. <laughs> yeah, I, I did high school in three years. Um, so I, I went to college and and did you go to the art school? I, I got into uh, Rhode Island School of Design and Chicago Art Institute, but did not get the scholarships that would have helped offset the cost of both those places. And I also now at this age, like I'm, I'm 44 now and my own daughter is like looking at colleges and I'm able to appreciate better, you know, just the the difficulty of the situation that I was in. Cause like my art teacher was like, well, if we would have had one more year, we could have prepped your portfolio so that you would have the opportunity to get those scholarships. But I mean, just on a personal level, that wasn't possible. Like I just yeah. didn't wait that long. And I really, did, I, I don't think I ever considered my, my parents were offering to help with college. And I don't think I ever considered taking out debt. That was just not a conversation that ever even happened. And that's a very privileged thing but also I just wasn't mentally prepared to even think about something like that. I mean, I was 17 and really pushing to just get through. I was, I was an extraordinarily high achiever. Um, I was getting a lot done, but I just never sat down and was just like, well, if I want to go to the Chicago art Institute, I could just take out loans. Right. Um, I just wasn't at that point yet. And uh, so I basically ended up, taking the situation where I had the most support, which was not my top choice, but I also was, again, just kind of needing to move on whatever path was available to me. And so I did go to the University of Kansas, which is a you know liberal arts-based school with a pretty good art department. Um, and we'll just never know, you know, like what, what would the experience have been if I had done something different? You, you don't really ever get to find that out. And so I did have a university based education, which, you know, had its good and bad points. And was that too, like, I don't know where you grew up. So were you then like moving on campus? Were you able to like, cause that was, you were like, let me get out of here. It sounded like, yeah. So I live in St. Louis, Missouri and my, my family is still based here and, uh, so Lawrence was, you know, like a four and a half hour drive away. So Got it. it was so you did get to like get out. Yeah. You started college and living. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was good for me. Um, I also felt the weight of a lot of expectation because I kind of felt like people expected because I had pushed to get out early. I kind of expected that like people thought maybe I wouldn't do so well, or like maybe I would stumble or make a mistake or whatever. So I man, I knuckled down hard that first year. I got 4.0s while everybody else was getting 2.5s and like partying on weekends. Um, so it just was not a very typical like college experience that I, um, that I had, you know, at any point, like none of it was normal, but that's kind of my whole life. Like I just don't have a typical path. I understand. I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking back to my own experience. Like I was the same way in high school. I didn't cram to get school get out of school. But I was like, I can't wait to get out of here and out of my home. And like, I just want to move away and um, sort of like start my own life. Um, 
But I also had like lots of great friends and like had fun and like could be labeled a pop and stuff like that too. So with you like wondering like, did you have a similar experience to me where like you had like friends and relationships or were you more like, you know, because yeah, like pushing to get out of school faster and then leaving everybody behind feels even like when not just when the rest of your class is like, okay, we're all at least graduating at this time or something. Like, did you, was it just sort of this sense of like, just knowing you needed to do what you needed to do. Yeah. I've always been pretty independent like that. Like I, I do, I feel those losses or, you know, those changes that as they happen, but I've just never let it stop me. Um, yeah. So I, at the, at the end of my, what was my last year in high school, I did start dating someone and we got into a very serious relationship and then we're in a long distance relationship for three years. And so he was still a senior in high school oh, wow. while I was in college. And of course that came with its own sets of complications and stresses. Like I literally bought a car so that I could come home, you know, as often as possible to see him. I did have a pretty good group of friends and I'm still actually really pretty good friends with a lot of the people from that, that group. Um, and because I was in choir and some of the other activities, I actually did have friends from multiple uh, grades. So yeah. I did have friends from the class that I graduated with, as well as friends in my own class. But I still don't know, like, I've never been to a class reunion, and I wouldn't even know which one to go to, to be honest. Like, <laughs> right. I, I just funny. wouldn't know which one would even make <laughs> sense for me to go to, like, should I go to the one I was supposed to be in or should I go to the one that I was with? <laughs> it just kind of, it got all weird. So I, I just basically keep in touch with people on my own at this point. And the people that stick are the people that stick. And, and yeah, you know, you don't really, I, I've always felt like the, I have, I have the sorts of relationships with people often where uh, time really doesn't erode those bonds, you know, time and distance don't really matter that much. Like I have one particular friend from high school that we have a ritual where we just see each other once a year. It's usually the day after Christmas. Um, she currently lives in Ohio and she, she comes in town to see family. And then we have our little yearly powwow. Usually we go out for coffee and talk for like four hours. And then we basically don't talk for the rest of the year. Like we just kind of <laughs> surprise each other with whatever's happening. I kind of love that. Yeah. And it's always amazing. Like it's one of my favorite days of the whole year. And, <laughs> you know, just the fact that we don't talk all year, it doesn't even change anything about the relationship. I love hearing that story because I do feel like especially as women, especially, I'm sure men have their own struggles with friendship too, maybe even more so, honestly, because they don't make it be like mm -hmm. women kind of make it be such a bigger deal. And it can feel like, yeah, trying to figure out these relationships or blah, 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 and like the hierarchy of them and like, yeah, like that you can, yeah, like not talk to somebody and still feel like that close. I, I, I That's how a lot of my, you know, I have a lot of not like that scheduled, but yeah, it's like you don't have to like be in touch all the time to like feel how that connection. Mm -hmm. Let's jump back to so what did you end up studying in college? And like also you wanted to study art, but like did you have an idea of like what that looked like and then what actually did happen? I, I have just always loved making things. So in some ways I found over my life, it doesn't really almost matter what I'm making as long as I'm involved in the process and as long as I find that process interesting. So I did end up, um, and I'm not doing this at this point in my life, but I majored in ceramics 
Um, so I was in the clay studio all the time and, you know, mixing glazes. It's a very chemistry based art form. So I do find that like most of the things that I'm involved in have some form of chemistry aspect to them, which is a, a deep interest of mine and definitely fuels what I currently do. Um, so, and I also did, I basically minored in textile design, um, did a lot of dye work. Um, I was sewing a lot at the time as well. So like I, I had my own little handmade clothing business that I ran out of my dorm room. I was oh, wow. the girl in the dorm that would like make patchwork pants for people. And um, I made a, a drum bag for like a padded drum bag for one of my friends um, to, to take to drum circles and all that. So he could carry his drum around. And uh, yeah, so it was... Um, I, I, uh, basically I'll just, ju I just make things. That's what it comes down to is like, you literally can't stop me in the few periods of my life where I was making less. I felt it like an ache. Um, I really just have this need to have ideas and then see them come to fruition regardless of what form that is. So that's, that's just kind of the constant in there, but yeah, um, clay, clay and fibers was my main concentration. Did you stay through that through college? And then what, what did you do after college? That was the big question mark was like, I, I graduated and it was like, well, what now? Um, and cause yeah, with that sort of, <laughs> especially for ceramics, that would seem sort of like, I guess I start my own ceramic business or, you know, like, yeah. or like, or I guess there are companies that need ceramic makers. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. Um, so there, there was one point I did do an internship with a clay studio here in St. Louis. One of the summers that I was here, they were, um, they were a pottery studio. So they did slip cast, plates and, um, full dinner sets that were like beautifully painted. Um, and I, I helped in the, the slip casting area, which basically you have like plaster molds that you pour liquid clay into. And instead of throwing pots, like most people think of like the potter's wheel and throwing a pot, right. um, by using molds, you can replicate something without having to throw it. And it comes out the same every time, you know, you're using the same like mold probably for higher, making higher quantities, higher volume or higher volume. There we go. I'm like trying to think. Yeah. Cause it just depends on your skill, you know, and like what you want to focus on. So, um, cause I, I also became really clear during college that I didn't want to be a production potter, uh, after, you know, listening to my, basically the head, the Dean of the art school, I think he was the Dean. He was the head, whatever title they gave him. He had been a production potter as one of his, uh, sections of life and, and his livelihood. And so he knew exactly what it would take to make a living, you know, selling pottery. And he was describing like, basically you have to be able to throw one cup a minute. You know, you have to like have 60 little balls of clay all wedged up and be able to like center it, make your cup, get it off the wheel one cup a minute. Cause then you still have to do other things to it. You got to make the handle, you got to trim it up there's a whole bunch of steps to it. So you have to have your processes. Done. Like, which is why I like, I went into a coffee shop the other day and there was someone there like selling their handmade stuff. And it's so, it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, but you're always like, Oh, the price. It's like, you know, that that price is worth it. Yeah. <laughs> like how much time goes into making one cup. Yeah. One I know. <laughs> yeah. We really undervalue things, honestly, like our, our society has because of mechanization and because we have such an abundance of stuff, around us, we really undervalue 
the work that it takes to make things. And I always, I personally think that, you know, much like I think that everybody should have to wait tables at some point in their life or, you know, work some sort of other menial job. I really think that everyone should have some experience with attempting to make something uh, like from scratch. I'm not talking like, you know, go to the afternoon pottery studio class and like drink wine while you paint a pot. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking like tr- actually Back, try like <laughs> to make it from scratch because and experience that frustration and the difficulty and how much time it can take because I think people would appreciate the things that they have in their life a lot more than than they currently do. Like things would not feel so disposable or you'd realize why people need to be paid a living wage. Um, and so that, you know, that experience having made so many different kinds of things, I have a lot of respect for workers and um, really try to make sure that, you know, I'm supporting fair wages as, as much as possible. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's just an incredibly enriching process to, to be a part of. But and it's brutal to try and make your living as someone in handicrafts, like realistically, even if you look at Etsy these days, a lot of the makers that are listing stuff on Etsy are not from inside the United States anymore. Um, it used to be like, hey, you know, it would be like your sister's cousin from Ohio yeah. is like knitting hats and posts them on there. Now it's like all international sellers that, and it's beautiful handmade stuff. It's not that it's not handmade, but it is that difficult to make a living making handmade goods here in the United States. So I, I definitely had some clarity around the idea that I didn't, I was not interested in being a production potter. A, I was not that good at throwing, but I just did not see myself basically turning myself into a pottery machine. Um, that was not an interest for me. I was always more interested in the sculptural aspects of clay. So I, I was producing like three foot tall people statues or like making really big stuff that would take months to hand build, like doing a lot of coiling and pinching. And um, it was always very personal to me too. It was kind of a spiritual experience because like you, you get very comfortable with the idea that you're going to put this in the kiln and it may not survive. So the process of building it has to be the part that you love. And I was never really comfortable enough with the idea that like, Hey, to make my living on this, that's going to be really stressful because if I put this in the kiln and it blows up and I have a gallery showing in two weeks, that's going to be a real problem. I don't know if I can handle that. So, and there are people that that's their magic and that's what they do. Um, But for me, my gut was just telling me like, make, keep this as something that's personal to you. So when I got out of college, I moved back home with my parents because we were on doing, doing better, you know, at like coexisting at that point. And, um, I did start teaching art classes at a local nonprofit and that was really cool and fun. It was a whole different experience, you know, getting to teach other people how to work with clay. And I found that to be very freeing as well, you know, because there are so many possible right answers and just kind of encouraging people to just explore was really, really a fun thing. And, but that was when I decided that maybe I would try going to school for art restoration and that, I, I mean, the the TLDR version of this is I did not end up completing that path, but it did give me background that feeds into my current work. Um, so I, I did go back to school at that point for chemistry classes. Um, 
so I, I started taking chemistry courses at the local community college and then ended up going to UMSL for the organic chemistry level courses. And um, also, you know, considered getting a second bachelor's in art history. So basically, you know, thought maybe I would take a path of helping take care of existing pieces of artwork. Um, and so was that something that was like a passion or more like, okay, well, what else do I want to do? Like, as my career, and I do love art, and I don't want to, yeah, be like making pottery as like a slave. Okay, so sort of like, oh, okay, what else can I do with? Yeah, you know, it was what just kind of like trying to problem solve. Like, yeah, I was never the sort of person that was like, I know what I want my job to be. Like, I, I never, ever, ever in my, when I was a kid, I never pictured myself in a job, quote unquote. I always just pictured myself just doing stuff, you know, and and. I think that, you know, it could be partly like, I, I definitely saw myself having kids. And I mean, I, I had, my, my mom was a stay at home mom. And I think I just identified with that whole, you know, be a mom, raise kids kind of thing, which I am a mom and I did have a kid, but I've also had a whole host of other experiences that don't line up at all with what my, my programming from my childhood was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think I just never, because I, my mom didn't work, I just never saw myself in a job, but it didn't mean that like, I didn't want to do anything. In fact, you can't stop me from doing all kinds of things. So my biggest challenge has always been to figure out how to make money on the things that I already want to do. And well, I think that is so smart. Cause I think there's so many people out there that don't have like this dream job passion, like, Oh, I have this, you know, purpose, like have to fulfill or whatever, but just like, oh, okay, well this, yeah. Like, so I enjoy art and this, and like, I also, how smart of you to realize Eve, like, okay, I pottery, but I don't want to maybe make that be my career because wait, that is not like the reality of, yeah. Becoming the production person is like, okay, that's not it. Okay. So what else can I do with this? Like, I think that's so brilliant. So, well, thank um, you. Ah. <laughs> so yeah, so, okay. So you were like, okay, maybe I'll, you know, yeah. Restore art. Maybe I'll, t so you start taking more classes and stuff. And then you said, yeah, that never, that didn't come through. So yeah. Like what happened that then got you off that path? So or, I was sure still working for the nonprofit, um, arts education, um, location at that point. Um, so I was working part-time, going to school part-time. It was a very heavy schedule in terms of like having tons to do. It was, it was stressful. I was newly married. Um, and I guess also another really crucial piece of this that um, oftentimes I tell in other stories, it's weird that it didn't come out um, until this point, but I started getting migraines in college pretty severely. And, and so by the time I was 20, I was getting maybe 20 headache days a month. Um, so like two thirds of the time I was having a day where I was at least at some point incapacitated with a headache. And that made it really difficult to hold down regular jobs because uh, basically from like, uh, it might be from like one to four, a lot of days, I would just be like out of commission. And there was no choice. Like I basically, I, when I get really down like that, I have to take care of my body. And it was very uncontrolled at that point because we didn't even know what's causing it. And like, honestly, yeah, doctors are not migraines. super helpful with headaches. Like a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I had migraines when I was in high school and I'm 40. And yeah, back, I mean, I remember when Excedrin was invented, it was like, wow, which I is know. just like a different, you know, like how helpful Excedrin even was. <laughs> and it still wasn't even like it that. It doesn't touch whatever. it. Yeah. For but yeah. People. 
I was lucky that for some reason my mom took me to a chiropractor and she's a nurse and she is not into she's not somebody that you would think of natural. So I started seeing a chiropractor when I was 15, three times a week. And it really helped with my migraine. Yeah. <laughs> like they went away, but like, yeah, like there wasn't, that's much help. Like, I'm like, I don't even know now, like how, how did my mom know to take me to my, uh, I'm really a chiropractor you- in 1995. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your, your mom did well for you because <laughs> They're, they're certainly, it's kind of just a process of trying things and seeing what works out. So I went through a series of years where there was like a lot of different trying medications and having those not work out, you know, having them make me feel weird and, you know, uh, just getting frustrated basically. Like there was a point towards the end of college where I had a medication interaction because my neurologist had not informed me to not mix one of the new meds that she had given me with another one of my medications that I had already had. Um, and I, that did cause me a lot of disillusionment with the, um, Western medicine system because it was very clear. She wasn't really investigating the situation. Um, she was basically just throwing stuff at it and, you know, seeing what would stick. And because there wasn't a lot of science, and it may be that she was very good at treating other conditions, but for headaches, it just wasn't helping me. And so I eventually pretty much walked away from that um, treatment path. And so, you know, this whole time, I got better at managing all of that, but still, you know, managing my own schedule was always one of the things that really helped me uh, make my way through life because it helped me not feel like an invalid, you know, by a lot of standards, I had some serious problems, you know, health wise. And I couldn't, I literally could not take the same path as a lot of other people. And it did drastically change the trajectory of what was possible within my life because I kind of always had to have my medication with me or like the thought of my my brother does a lot of traveling around the world. Like he loves to go to remote places in like Vietnam and um, he's been over the highest motorbike pass in India and things like that for me are like, I love adventure, but it's always a little scary for me to go off grid because if I have a bad day and would really need medical assistance, like I have days where urgent care is necessary. And it's usually just about once a year, but still, like at, at this point, it's still, it's very, it's much more under control than it used to be. But if that would happen while I'm off grid, eh, what am I going to do? So it definitely affected my choices. And I would say created this, this sense of um, a willingness to, to consider alternate routes. You know, I, I definitely think it affected me creatively in the sense that I always had to look for other possible solutions. Um, that was, that was always something that I had to see because I couldn't do it just the way everybody else was doing it. Or I was like, not, you know, like even socializing, you know, there were times of day that like, I couldn't go to a networking meeting or I don't know. So it just, that really changed my options in life. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, you don't want to say you're thankful for it, but at the same time, I can't see my life without it at this point because of what it did teach me. I'm fortunately in a much better place than I used to be 
And now I'm only getting like maybe three or four headache days a month. So vast, vast improvements. And I would never want to go back to the way it was because um, it was painful and frustrating. Um, but it, it absolutely drove me to uh, work differently. And, and so that is just a crucial part of my, my journey. So, um, you know, career wise, that always had to be factored in to my choices. Like what are positions where I can still take care of myself? Um, you know, working in the corporate world was like never an option, you know, for me, I, I always had to, you know, have a situation where I could stop and take care of myself if need be. And so, yeah. So what, type of positions were you able to still teach or like what did you then do teaching was good you know and I I always knew that like even if I was having a bad day that I could probably make it through an hour and a half class um you know so generally that worked out okay for me uh and then you know doing making things on my own um, you know, I could always stop and start as needed. And even now, you know, my, my schedule with my team, uh, is pretty flexible where, you know, I, they're, they're all very independent people. And so they have enough skills to be able to do their work if I'm not constantly there. So that allows me to, to step away for like both creative purposes and if I need to do some self-care. So that's, you know, the whole, the whole way that my work life is currently built is still really based around that. And, um, I would say like, it's also made me more compassionate to when other people need flex time, you know, and need to take care of themselves, which I think just needs to be broader in general in the world. Like the, the idea, also the idea that like my condition as debilitating as it was, was not considered a disability, you know, there was no option for compensation for me of any kind, like publicly. So, and yet it did make me unable to work a lot of the time. And yet there was, there was no safety net. So I was also always very aware that I still had to take care of myself. I still had to work. I still had to make money. And so I had to do that however I needed to. And there were periods where it was quite stressful. And then the stress is probably not going to help the condition. Yeah. The stress doesn't help any conditions, but especially if your condition <laughs> is like getting headaches. Like, yeah. Or yeah, having whatever migraines of like that for sure. It feels like. Yep. Oh, I know. I get it. I've had my own. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 18. I had my own like same journeys of seeing 8 million specialists, not 8 million, but you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, choosing my own ways to take care of myself, which is still, um, yeah. Like I now I'm like, oh, right. You do sometimes need to take medicine. Like I forget that ibuprofen exists mm. because I still will sometimes get these like full spine. It's like it starts in my neck and then like travels all the way up down my spine. And so my whole like body feels on fire. And if I take ibuprofen, it helps. But I oftentimes forget and I go all into my self-care stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I forget that medicine exists because I had such a bad <laughs> memory of doctors and medicine and here's some pills and them not working mm-hmm. and whatever. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd be perfect. I don't want to, but I don't want to like obviously be taking it every day. So it's like doing the things that help yeah. me. Oh, why is this being caused again? And that, but a, a natural, like a more natural path doctor, uh, like about 10 years ago was to me like, 
why are you not taking ibuprofen when you're in pain? Like, do you realize that you're creating your body more stress and like you're yeah. going, your body then goes into shock because you're like refusing to take medicine? And I was like, oh, I didn't think, okay, okay. So right, I will now keep ibuprofen on hand, but like, yeah, not like surviving by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's but, a tough balancing act. Yeah. <laughs> Me, Trisha, and I'm so excited because today's podcast partner is also on the podcast. It's Blissoma, Julie's amazing skincare brand. This stuff is the best, whether you're a skincare junkie or you get overwhelmed and confused like I can. Trust me, it is a game changer. It's authentic green beauty, cutting edge chemistry meets traditional herbal knowledge for the best of both worlds. She has original recipes that offer a huge range of phytonutrients that benefit every skin need, including sensitivities and painful skin problems. These skin products create balance within the skin and body. The formulated to allow customers to proactively and naturally manage a variety of skin issues. I am telling you, every time I use these products, I am shocked at how immediately I can notice a difference in my skin. And that makes me feel different in my body and who I am out in the world. Like it really does emit this radiance from me. So go check them out. They have a free skin care consultant quiz to take to see what products work best for you. Three of my favorites is the free rejuvenating herbal gel cleanser, Restore, which is an Omega Miracle facial oil, and Aura is a phyto-brightening serum. I have tried many more products. I love every single one. Those are, you know, sort of my like everyday products. Go check them out. And I believe if you sign up for their newsletter on their website, they send you a free sample of the free gel cleanser. Go check them out, blissoma.com, and keep listening to see how Julie made these products. So, how did you end up like, what was your first like? being interested in skincare or like, you know, was it again, like you wanting to make something right away or just like yourself? Did, I, I mean, I'm guessing with me too, like that was my healing journey of all the things going in my body that still continues because it's just a managed, you know, mm -hmm. it's not like fiber, it's not a cured thing, but managed, you know, then it did make me start to look at, oh, what am I putting in my body? Mm -hmm. Which then made me eating differently, which eventually led to what am I putting on my skin? Like, Yep, it is. People, yeah, people often don't think about just like how many facets uh, something like this can encompass. And it is a lot of work. So I'm not surprised that you were forgetting that there was something else that you maybe could do, because you're already thinking of probably six or eight different things to do. So, you know, it's, it, it is just hard to think of everything, because like, anytime something happens, you kind of have to go through this mental list of, you know, well, what could it be? You know, did I drink enough water today? Was my sleep off? You know, was I clenching my teeth more last night? Uh, just all, all the possible stuff. And uh, my, my body is a sensitive creature and it sounds like yours is as well. So that basically my experiences with the Western medicine system definitely led me into an interest in holistic wellness. And you know, kind of started off my interest in herbalism as a whole, 
looking for those alternative options to take care of myself. And while I will say that, like, I mean, I'm on, I take a ton of supplements and herbs still, but I mean, it's not like any one of them was like the answer either. It's still just a part of the puzzle. Uh, But at least I know that those things are more, more supportive to my body, I would say, Uh, you know, rather than I feel like a lot of the pharmaceutical medication options were just, you know, trying to solve one problem, but adding another complication. And, you know, whereas like if I'm taking, um, you know, turmeric or go to cola or, you know, other herbs, of course there are, you know, upsides and downsides and you do have to think about interactions. And I mean, that's one of the things that like the level of knowledge that I have in that area allows me to anticipate, you know, for a lot of people, it would be a wise thing to like go to an herbalist and get some recommendations rather than just self-treating because if you're going to, especially if you're going to be taking a number of things, you want to make sure they're not interacting. But, um, it, it definitely always felt more nurturing And it did feel like it impacted my life in a beneficial way versus like the side effects that I was experiencing with a lot of the other medications. And granted, I am still super grateful that Western medication options exist because some of the stability that I have right now is, you know, in part because of advances in those areas. Um, and, and the fact that like, when I do have a bad day, like I have to go get treated and there is not an option. Like I would just spiral and, you know, continue being nauseous and a mess. So I'm super, super grateful that those options are there, but on a daily basis, I do prefer to use holistic options. So, um, that really definitely led me into a journey of, you know, being more aware of my body and working with it more closely. And so that interest in herbalism then kind of really had uh, a day in the sun. Is that where it started? Was it like fine discovering herbalism or learning about it? And then like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. maybe let me try adding. Yeah. So I started having some acne in my late twenties that basically was just cystic acne where it was really painful under the skin and I could not figure out how to solve it initially and, you know, really was trying to do healthy things for myself. I was shopping at, you know, natural, natural food stores and, you know, trying to explore the products that they had there rather than like stuff at the drugstore or department stores. You know, I felt like I was trying to make healthier choices for myself and yet my skin was still really freaking out. You know, I'd read the ingredients lists and it would be like, this has a wonderful seaweed extract in it will rejuvenate the skin, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I'd take it home and I'd try it and my skin would still be a mess. So I, I did get frustrated enough to um, try going to the dermatologists. I did not like having to go that route, but I was at a point where I was like, well, I, I need to figure out what's next and maybe, maybe they'll give me some new ideas. And it was probably a benzoyl peroxide based wash, really strong prescription strength. And it just really burned the heck out of my skin. Um, I remember using it, you know, in the shower and just feeling like my skin was on fire and being like, I can't get the stuff off my face fast enough. It just felt the whole thing felt wrong, you know, and 
I, I couldn't even use it enough to see if it would be effective because I couldn't stand to have it on my skin for that long because it was causing redness and so much irritation. So that really felt like a dead end as well. So I ended up in the long term, I ended up playing around with some of the ingredients that I had on hand because I'd been doing some stuff with aromatherapy, um, essential oils and using those um, like for my mood and headaches. I just really fallen in love with natural aromas. And I, I probably had like a little mini collection of, you know, it must have been 30 essential oils at that point, you know, just then this was before the MLMs really popularized them as well. Like this was the early days of the internet yeah. and like I had gone online and, you know, found places and spent way more than I should on many bottles of, you know, fun smelling things. Cause I, I never liked synthetic fragrances, but once I discovered plant-based aromas, I was just in heaven. And, um, so I started playing around with some of the stuff that I had on hand and, uh, much like when I was a kid, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to love to go into the kitchen on a Saturday morning and just experiment with ingredients. Um, I, I attempted making baking powder biscuits from scratch. I would make my family scrambled, you know, these big breakfasts, scrambled eggs. Um, unfortunately, the biscuits for them, you know, were hard for a while because I didn't know what I was doing. I'm over here like, oh, I hope my daughters <laughs> grow up wanting to cook for me. <laughs> well, you <laughs> might have to eat some pretty me. bad experiments <laughs> in that process. So that's the downside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just always loved that kind of mad scientist sort of feeling. And so it was very natural for me to take that and, um, you know, try experimenting around with some of the skincare ingredients. And my initial challenge to myself was to see if I could, you know, make emulsions without using any of the more chemical emulsifiers that were available for sale through some of the like crafty, you know, skincare ingredient businesses. Cause I mean, there are ingredients out there that can make it very easy to make an emulsion, but uh, me, I like to do things the hard way. <laughs> so um, that was that was my uh, intellectual assignment for myself was to see if I could do it with just strictly natural ingredients. And so I was using things like soy leth lecithin and xanthan gum, and eventually devised an emulsion that stayed together, and uh, was using that on my skin. And, you know, had made the herb extracts myself and um, my skin just completely turned around. It was so much more clear wow. and happy and balanced. And like once I stopped using the stuff from that I was getting from the store at the time, I realized like the products that I had been using were actually making my skin considerably worse um, and as a consumer, I felt really betrayed and angry uh, that, you know, here I'd been like, I, we were on a very limited budget at the time. So, which was also part of why I started making my own stuff was because, um, we were living on, you know, two art student graduate salaries. Like, you know, my, my then husband was teaching for the same nonprofit arts place. I was partly in school. We just didn't have a lot of income. And so it was, you know, less expensive for me to mess around and try and devise something for myself than it was to, uh, to go buy something. And once I realized that like that hard earned money that we had been putting in was actually causing me more problems, I got really angry. And um, so that was really the genesis of me getting into skincare as a 
business was as a frustrated consumer um, because I realized like if that's happening to me, it's got to be happening to a ton of other people. And there just felt like there wasn't a lot of transparency. You know, here you have all this pretty marketing language on the packages that talks about how amazing something is. And yet frequently the ingredients just don't match up to all that wonderful flowery talk. And yeah, the products that you're talking about that time aren't even necessarily like, oh, like a set of Philly Get It Right but like something that you get at like yes. the health, like health food store so that you think like the all natural, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, that you're saying mm-hmm. it had the seaweed extract or whatever. So like, yeah, you're like, okay. And yeah, so you're paying a little bit more mm-hmm. for it already, like probably double than what's in the drugstore. And okay, I'm buying these things. And then you realize they were making yep. your skin. And I mean, there just isn't a lot of oversight in the cosmetics industry at all. So it's it's really a wild west of marketing claims. And um, there's nobody even overseeing ingredients list uh, accuracy at all. Like basically a company, you just have to trust a company to put on there what is actually in there. So you can be an ingredient reader and still not have any idea what you're actually using because it's it's really up to each company to be straightforward about it. And many are not, you know, for a variety of reasons. I feel like it's getting even worse. Yeah. Because when I first learned that, I don't know how long ago this was that you did this, but like, I know it was at least 10 years ago that, cause I yeah. read the, the no more dirty books book, which I love those girls. And I don't know any, like whatever, but that was when I first started like learning about, um, the stuff and changing all my products out and back then it was like, oh no. And now since then, green beauty, clean beauty, just healthy eating, all things have like exploded even more. And so there's way more even greenwashing. Mm-hmm. And even it's like you could go, you know, go grocery shopping and it's like the generic brands or whatever, like food brands, even like everything is like, it's like they've taken everything and like, well, this is healthy now because like, let's just slap healthy on it, whether it's food or okay, this like natural, like there's all this marketing. And even though I've been aware of this stuff for over 10 years now that Mm -hmm. I still sometimes forget, right. And I'll just see the like packaging and the buzzwords and put it like grab it. And then like, look at the ingredients like, oh, but then skincare ingredients always confuse me. Like, I'm like, okay, this says it's clean and it's green. And then I, but I don't know, wait, are you really supposed to know every word? Cause right. That was the thing with like food pack. Like you don't want, but then you do need some sort of, yeah, cosmetics uh, just are different from keep food. It from going I, bad. I do. I mean, I, yeah. In general, like, yeah, yeah. It's just like, but like greenwashing health, thing for all industries. And then skincare is just something that confuses me in general. I'm like, yeah, wait, what are the ingredients that are supposed to be in things and not and what? And <laughs> well, and it's constantly changing too. I mean, every year. And I mean, even now, like, so business wise, now I get emails all the time from ingredient companies that are like, we've got this new thing, you know, and ingredient companies. Wow. And that's uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're just like companies that specialize in producing cosmetic ingredients. Like so they do. Wow. They do the actual like individual ingredient production. And then they sell those ingredients right. to companies like mine that use them in, in an end product. And they're just constantly coming up with new things, which is sometimes good and sometimes not so good. It really just depends on the nature of that ingredient. But as a consumer, it makes it really difficult to keep up with what's going on because it's always new. Like there's always something changing. And in some ways, I think that I don't think it's necessarily by design, but I do think that that overwhelm causes people to purchase more uh, and, and make 
decisions that they maybe wouldn't make if they, you know, did have more knowledge or more assurance or kind of a steadier base. Um, because when everything is constantly changing, you don't know what to do, but you do have to do something. So you just pick something and go with it. Or you might end up buying three things instead of two, you know, so because you don't you don't know what's going to work. So I think that it can fuel overconsumption and and definitely keeps people unsteady. And, and I really, I think like capitalist systems like consumers to be off balance a little bit because then you're kind of reaching out and grabbing for things to steady yourself. Um, but frequently those things don't, don't actually help. So I think that there's just a number of problems layered into how the beauty industry currently operates. And even as a cosmetic chemist, like I have to stop when, you know, somebody might ask me a question about and a more synthetic ingredient, I gotta, I have to go do research on that before I can even answer the question because my specialty is in naturally based ingredients. And so I don't keep up with the hundreds of new texturizers and emulsifiers and, you know, film forming agents and all kinds of fun stuff like that that's out there for more synthetically focused um, cosmetic chemists. So, okay, so jumping back to when you, you know, made this first concoction yourself and it was working and then starting to get angry, like, yeah, what is that basically just what empowered you to start making products? And how did you start doing that? Like, was it just like, oh, I'm going to make this one thing and sell it at a farmer's market or that? And like, you know, and also with like knowing with the pottery production back, like, oh, I don't want to do that. And then what made you want to be like, okay, so I'm now going to start making skincare. I'm guessing my, but was it a slow jump or like, were you immediately, this works? I'm going to oh, build no, a Yeah, it was brand. definitely a gradual <laughs> process. So I, I actually started off, I was selling more kind of aromatherapy products to start off with. So I was doing soy candles and um, I, I initially started doing the aromatherapy stuff as a side gig because I was, I was otherwise making handmade clothing and selling that for income for a number of years. And was that, and how was that? Did you have an Etsy store? I actually have my own website. So a friend, when I was in college, a friend designed a website for me, which was, I was like on the very cusp of doing internet business actually because of this. Um, And so I had my own little website where I sold hippie patchwork clothing. So it was like patchwork dresses that people would wear to Grateful Dead concerts. Um, And in part because it was not the sort of thing that you could just walk into a local store and buy. People were kind of driven online to buy yeah. stuff like that. And I was a member of some um, email forums, you know, discussion groups where we would talk about what we were sewing and all of that. And so that's actually how I was making some a, a chunk of my income for a while on the side. Like, And this was in addition to going to school and working some for the arts nonprofit. And so I, I was definitely a busy girl. Like I had a lot going on <clears throat> and I initially started making the aromatherapy stuff on the side because it helped me be more productive and potentially more profitable. Cause I could be like melting wax while I was like sewing on a skirt and it turned my little breaks from sewing into making a second thing. And then I would just kind of, when I would do shows or like local events, I would show up with like my candles and other aromatherapy goods and the the things that I had sewn to sell them. So eventually I realized that making the clothing, I was never going to take that business to 
the next level. I kind of tried a little bit, like I tried transitioning from patchwork to more of like a hand dyed uh, type of clothing, you know, moving into like hemp and silk and like higher end fibers. But my market here in St. Louis was just not ready for it. Like if I'd been located out on the West Coast, probably could have made it work. Um, But people here in the Midwest were just a little on the conservative side and were not ready for the type of garments that I was making. And as well, I realized like, I'm just not necessarily cut out for the fashion industry itself, like the pace of it. And the, I think the waste in the fashion industry probably would have bothered me as well. Not that there are not, like now these days, I look at a lot of the eco-friendly brands that are making it and making it work. And I really admire them and I try to spend my money with them. But I'm also a little bit glad that that's not me um, at this point, because I, I loved making custom garments and I loved serving my customers directly. And I think what I took from that business experience was uh, a really strong knowledge of how to connect with someone and serve their individual needs. And so that skill now gets put to work doing things like the skin consultations that we do, um, you know, really tuning into someone's individual needs and then speaking directly to them to help fit them with what's needed. Um, that process is a lot like what I used to do with when I would talk to somebody about, you know, what's, what's your dream skirt, you know, what kind of applications do you want on it? You know, do you want it to have three pockets or two? And, um, so that, that connection was a real skill for me. So I, I definitely, but so yeah, you already had like sold out at places had, so it was sort of like, oh, okay, there's just something else I can maybe Mm -hmm. make and see like sell, like like not even necessarily, this is my new thing, but like, oh, yeah. okay, I made this. Yeah, I'll make it more. Felt it felt natural at the time. What I did find out was that the consumer goods business is very, very, very different from the like handmade custom, you know, kind of market. Um, and effectively I knew nothing about what I was getting into in terms of like running a manufacturing business um, on a wholesale or distribution level where, you know, where we, we need to be making the volume of stuff that we currently make. Um, and my, my dad actually helped me kind of like, once I was like, you know, I really, I really would like to rededicate myself to doing my own thing. Like when I was ready to basically just like leave, leave the college path and really start the business my dad was like, I'd love to help you. And he, he was my helper for a couple of years there. And the, just the hard thing was like, he had come from an industrial like paint and coatings background. So he had never run a consumer products business either. Um, neither one of us knew what we were getting into. And so there were a few years there where it was like school of hard knocks. We spent a lot of money. We wasted a lot of money. We, you know, you could call it like that was our education. Like we paid for our education in a certain way. Right. <laughs> That's a good way to frame it. <laughs> like in time and frustration and like, you know, literally trial and error, you know, seeing what worked and what did not work. So uh, by the time we got to the end of like year three, uh, he was feeling kind of frustrated and he was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And I was like, but I see, I see what we could be doing better that would make it work, you know? And that was when I I decided to really reinvest in the company on my own um, and took out debt to do so, like paid for our first round of packaging on my own 
and took that leap and just bet on myself and decided to move forward with the the knowledge that I had gained. But in a lot of ways, it's really been like I've had, even, even at that point, it's been like we've had like three different evolutions since then. So there's never really been a point where we've like been like, we're here, we've arrived. It's like constantly reinventing yourself as you go and, and just re-envisioning at every step, you know, what's the next thing. And so what made you even, you know, when you started back with your dad and then in the, at that three-year mark when he was like, okay, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like, what do you think is making you so passionate about Keep Coin? Because it is hard. And like, even though I truly think your products are so amazing that I, it's like, yeah, like how much competition there is in oh, there's a lot. every yeah. space, but also in just, yeah, skincare alone and then not even just clean or whatever you want to call it, skincare that like, yeah. So it's like how hard it is to keep going, but what, what makes you keep going? <laughs> I am darn stubborn. I will tell you that. <laughs> also I've, I've found out and, and I'll say this in a way that like, you might go, what? Um, but I'm, I am really good at working the sunk costs fallacy and, and people would be like, no, you're bad at it. And I'm like, no, I'm really good at it. I'm, I am so good at like if I have invested time and money and effort in something already, I will go to the ends of the earth to like make that pay off. And now that I know that about myself, I trick myself into getting things done that I might not otherwise do. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, so I want to do this thing, but I'm scared of it. Okay, I will spend, you know, money on a fancy <laughs> camera. And now I'm like committed. Now I'm like, I have to make it work. You know, I have to shoot some videos with this, you know, so I, I trick myself into those next growth steps by, by investing first and then making myself follow through. So I think I just looked at that three years that we had already spent and I was just like, well, this isn't for nothing. Like I know more than I did now. You know, I, I can see what, what we can do next to try again and I just, I've always had this sense of belief in myself. I think I have, I struggle more with my social connections. I will say that. Like I'm a very independent worker and I know my own capabilities very well and I trust myself. I have more issues with trusting other people. So that's been something I've had to work on as I've grown the business, but I have never had trouble trusting in what I can do. And, you know, when I look at a project and I say, well, I can do that, you know, of course I'm going to go for it. And so that I think enabled me to, you know, look ahead and be like, well, I can fix this. I can make this work. And I mean, it, it, it's been true and it's also still been really hard. You know, there have been points, it's been really risky. I'm not going to lie. I am very realistic. Like when I talk to other people that are thinking about, you know, starting a business like this, I actually am pretty frank with it. I'm like, you have to be ready to recommit again and again and again, because there will be points where most people would turn back, you know, points where like your preservative system is suddenly not working and thousands of dollars of product is ruined. Mm. And you know, you're going to go, oh my God, should I even keep doing this? And, you know, your significant other might be like, you know, honey, we could use a second income by now. Um, like maybe you haven't made any money. I, I didn't take an income for like at least five years, you know, there. 
So there, uh, there was no financial reason for me to be doing the work. I like literally the work itself was what was feeding me emotionally and spiritually. And it's still like, it's still very rewarding work, but you can't keep doing that forever. Like, you know, and especially once I got divorced, it became like, oh, I have to take a paycheck now. Like this really, this is the reality hitting. Like I can no longer afford to just continue to reinvest in the business. I have to feed myself as well. And, you know, there's just, there's so many points along the path where you could choose to do something else. And you really have to be ready to just keep going. And I also think that the universe has like prompted me to keep going. You know, like there were points where it was like, it gave me just enough, just enough to keep my hope up and to take that next step or like, other doors closed, you know, um, as, as I was getting divorced, I did take a minute to like look around and see if there were any other jobs that I should get. Like I applied to a few other companies and I got an interview with one, but like it didn't, I didn't end up being their absolute hire. So, you know, it really, this just seems to be the path that the universe like thrust me upon in the, and I've tried doing so many different things. And this seems to be the thing where, the money works well enough to keep doing it. And where I, I do know that I'm really impacting people. And, and that also, I had to redefine my idea of success because there wasn't a lot of money for a long time. And I mean, technically you work for money, right? Yeah. No, not when you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting off, like you work for the results and the results are sometimes much more intangible. And, you know, it might be that you got a really great letter from somebody saying that you changed their outlook on their body and their skin that day. And that's enough to keep going to the next day and the next day after that, and to know that you could do that for somebody else too. So um, yeah, it's been a long process. And I, I am definitely realistic when other people are, are thinking about getting into something like this, because if you're not prepared to recommit again and again and again, and to stick it out through those hard moments, because they will happen, then you could just lose a lot of money. And you could you could just learn something, you know, like, again, like, it's the price of an education, all of our experiences pay off in some way, we just can't say they necessarily pay off financially. You know, if, if my business failed next week, which is, you know, in small business, it's always a possibility, like something could end, you know, anytime. And if something happened, and you know, I ended up having to take a different path. I would have to have the mental attitude that like, it wasn't all for nothing. Like I'm, I came out of this with so many more skills and so much more knowledge. And like, I've grown as a person and all of that would be the yield, you know, in addition to the fact that like, it is feeding my family right now. Um, it, it also has had a tremendous yield for me personally. Um, I'm a better person than I was before you know, certainly much more mature, more confident, more capable. And, and all of that is worth a whole, whole, whole lot. So, you know, and you can't stop people from what life has in store from them, per for them. So everybody has to make their own little decision about what path it is that's going to light them up. And, you know, they might get halfway down the path and say, no, this isn't for me and change direction. That's for yeah. them to know. Yeah. I mean, it's so, like I said, it's, a, uh, it's such an interesting business to be. And it is, uh, you know, like I, when you said confident, like one of the things that it's made you, I think it like 
skincare is such a unique thing because it really can give us so much confidence. And I don't know if that's how, that's probably not how you meant it, meant it when you said it, but I had already been thinking about myself like that it is. And I struggled with acne. I never, I didn't have, um, I never had to go on, med- oh, maybe when I was in high school, but I didn't have the painful kind cystic acne. My sister did. But yeah, like I struggled with acne and that's such a like, th- especially back to those high school years when you're already, I'm all like, so like, so like not self-confident trying to pretend like I am. And then, yeah, our skin is such a big thing and that I do notice after I use your products. And that's why I say all the time, like, it's shocking to me how I can see a difference immediately. Like even just like wash my face, Mm. put a serum on, whatever. And like how like all of a sudden like brighter my skin looks like in that moment, like I don't even want to put my like tinted moisturizer. Like I just wear like a tinted moisturizer Mm-hmm. most days and it has sunscreen in it. So that is why most days I want to wear it because I go out and take walks and I'm in the sun and I'm not mm-hmm. good at like taking care. I, I like don't wear hats and stuff. I'm like, I haven't been great about like sun care in my life. So I try to do that. But a lot of days I feel so excited about how my skin looks after using Blissoma products that I don't want to put anything on it. <laughs> like well, that it gives me that confidence. So like I'm yeah. always like in on social media, whatever, in a bare face and whatever. And it's just like, yeah, like it's an interesting thing, like how such a small thing like and it feels great on my skin. But I really like it really gives me confidence to use your products. But skin is is how it's basically that boundary between you and everything else. And um, I think that there's a lot that we can try to intuit. Like I think mentally we do try and intuit things about people based on what we see about their skin. And skin health kind of is this mirror into like, is that person, how, how are they doing? You know, you can tell if somebody's a little tired, you can tell if they're you know, really excited and like there might be a flush to their skin. And so it, it is a way for us to read one another and get information. And so how we show up matters in that regard. And I think we all kind of feel that innately. Um, and it's, you know, those, those plant-based nutrients are helping, you know, <laughs> vitalize you. They're, they're doing all kinds of cool things with your cells. And what, one of my goals always actually was to have skin that was just clear enough that I didn't have to worry about wearing makeup. I am not, we do sell some makeup and I started selling makeup because I honestly was, I was seeing people use our skincare and then still use some really right. junky makeup over the top of it. And I was just like, no, people, no, 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 no. So I started actually selling some makeup to match with the skincare because I didn't want people to be compromising their results. That makes with sense. Using poor quality makeup over the top of it. Um, Which my my tinted moisturizer looks even better now, obviously, because of like, sure. yeah. And it's a good brand. Well, at least I think so. I'm like afraid to even bring <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, well, but it was just like an interesting that like I love what my skin looks worth and I'm not like, oh, I need that coverage mm-hmm. like sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's it's a different thing to like feel like you're you have a different reason for wearing it. Like you don't yeah. feel like you're needing to hide or. Like, yeah, exactly. Like up. I really need to put this thing on that has some tint in it. Now I mean, it makes it probably like I even look. Yeah, like more glowy or whatever with it on. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No. I really don't wear like makeup most days. I'll wear it for camera. Um, like if say if we're if I'm doing a video maybe or even some videos I don't really wear much maybe I just put on some eyeliner or something like that just to like highlight those and I I do try and show up barefaced as much as possible because I feel like 
this is what people need to see to understand that like the products work. Um, you know, <laughs> especially at this age, like I, I am not trying to be something else. Like I am showing off like the actual results of now 14 years of using my own recipes and there is a cumulative benefit. It is not, uh, you know, I, I do think there's a difference, you know, in this sort of result, you know, that, um, more holistic ingredients give like over time, um, it it isn't the same trajectory that you would have if say you were on like a retinol or some of the other types of, you know, cosmetic ingredients that are out there in the synthetics industry. Some of those do give like kind of an immediate like benefit where, you know, people might be like, oh, this is really doing something for my skin. But sometimes they're not as good over the long term. Whereas right. like, I feel like over the long term, holistic ingredients are really, really strongly rooted. And you just are encouraging that higher level of function in the body over time. And those results pay off, in, in my opinion. And just keeping everything flowing well, you know, and working together um, in a harmonious state is, in my opinion, that's the best way to be in life every day, whether you're 20 or whether you're 60. Um, and, and so that's really what I try to have my products assist with. Love that. Okay. I'm going to ask you some of the questions I ask everybody. One oh, is well. what is something that you do to up your joy levels when maybe you're not feeling so great? Uh, definitely sing and dance. I always, so I, I am a singer. Um, and yeah, like going back to choir class. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I, I actually, one of my goals before the pandemic hit was to join a choir again. And then like, unfortunately, this darn virus, like choir ended up being one of the things that's like most dangerous right. because <laughs> right. like people are projecting their right. voice out. So I was just You're like, not just standing yeah. next to people, but yeah, you're like the spit molecules or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was an incident early on in the pandemic where like a, a choir practiced together and like 60 people all got oh, sick man. because like th they were just projecting so much crap into the air. So yeah, I, unfortunately that little dream got squashed. I'm, I'm patiently waiting for it to be safe <laughs> for me to do that again, but I sing all the time on my own and there is just nothing like, I, I actually have a happy playlist um, on, you know, like Spotify, like I have a 12 hour Julie. 12 hour. Oh my God. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's the best. Um, so it's all songs that like, when I hear them, you know, you know how you're listening to the radio or what, you know, something and, and a song comes on and you're like, Oh my God, this is my song. This is my yeah. jam. So like every song on that playlist, I feel that way about. And I so, love that. Like, I like to pretend that it's a surprise every time they come on. Right. So, like, you know, a next song will come on and I'll be like, oh, my God, it's my jam. That's funny. <laughs> I think it's important to have that, though. I have I was, have a group coaching program right now. And each week we had a focus. And last week was joy. And like and, and some other weeks, too, I was like, what's a song? Like, that was like, make sure, like, what is a song that brings you joy? And either create a playlist or, yeah, like, just know this. Because, like, it does. Like, music can really shift our mood. Mood. Mm -hmm. And if you're like, what is that? So that I have go-to songs, you're like, oh, right. I need a little boost of energy right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that that's a big one for me. And, uh, you know, I'll set set things aside and maybe just like boogie for, 
you know, good the length of a song or maybe two songs. And um, the, like a couple that I really am, am crazy about would be uh, Sally by the Fundamentals. They're an Australian hip hop group. Pretty awesome. Uh, that's one of my favorite. Like, I'll have to it's, look it's that about up. a girl who can't <laughs> dance. So I, oh. <laughs> I just think that's super fun. And then uh, let's see, what's another one that's gotten me through some tough? Oh, Beck Seventh Heaven. I I like Seventh Heaven a lot. Okay, I'm like I know Beck songs, but I can't think of that one off the top of my head. I'll have to look both those. It's up. just really happy. It's it's off one of the more recent. I'm albums. sure I probably very high recognize it. I just can't think of it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Another question is what. I was about to forget. <laughs> like what? Um, how? Oh my goodness! This is funny. The one time I didn't bring the questions out because I was like, you know, these questions you ask everybody. Now, of course, I'm like, wait, what is that question? <laughs> Just make up something new. I don't know. <laughs> I am like, wait, what is here? It is. It's what here. This is hilarious. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. I, what is something, or can you think of a way to apply that to your own life? So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. Hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean it's harder, by the way. It's just sort of like the way that we're, you're naturally set up. What is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is. Oh gosh. Um, well, what's easiest for me, I'm, I am a bit of a workaholic and it's easy for me to kind of bury myself in projects and tasks um, but what is best for me is to make sure and stop working uh, on a healthy schedule and focus on socializing and, you know, making time for friends and making time for rest um, because I can get too caught up in like that next thing that I need to do. And it doesn't do good things for me. So I really, really need that balance. Um, so I, I definitely like tonight I, I have to go home and like not do any work. It's like, that's because <laughs> I can feel myself getting to that point. Like I worked on Sunday to catch up on some projects. Cause like sometimes that clear day, you know, where yeah. you know you're not going to get any phone calls or whatever is just so valuable. And I was like, yes, I need to work today. But then like now I'm getting to Tuesday afternoon and I, I did some stuff after work last night. I've worked too much in the last three days and I need to like chill out tonight. So I'm getting better at that in my, my older age. Um, but it's, it is something I have to watch myself on. Okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is claim it because I think that so often we are like set up to be like, you know, we talked about success earlier on that it is like, oh, once I do this, I'll be successful. Or once I have this, I'll be enough mm -hmm. or be worthy that it's like, we're taught, I think based a lot on capitalism to like to keep going, going, going. And, but usually once we hit those points, it's just moving it to the next point. Like it's never enough. And so then mm -hmm. we never feel that way that we want to feel. And so I feel like we can do the work, not saying it's easy to be like, wait, I can claim success right now. I can okay. claim that I'm worthy right now. I can claim that I'm fulfilled right now. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? Hmm, I am claiming my role as a, can I, can it be a few things? Yes, you can. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be extra. I, I can never decide on just one thing. Like people are like, what's your favorite blah. I'm just like, <laughs> how, why are you making me choose just one? So, um, I'm definitely claiming my role as a leader within my own company. And then, uh, you know, even just with my, my clients, um, you know, that position is something that has its own challenges and everything, but I really am feeling like 
it is something that I not, not only have earned, but have the skills to do. And <clears throat> I think I lead in a way that is m- more, I want to say like healthy, you know, uh, definitely more diplomatic, more democratic, um, kind of, you could call it like a feminine, you know, or like a strongly, at least balanced way to lead. Like it's definitely not a masculine leadership in the sense that like, it's not, it's not dominating. It's very cooperative. And I, I feel that it is a, it is a natural position for me. Um, but it also, you know, I'm the sort of leader where I like to see other people uplifted and excelled. And I think the world needs more of that. So definitely claiming that and claiming like a a sense. And I feel like this has been something that I've been working on for a little while, but like that whole sense of like, how do you ever really arrive? Like I'm in a pretty good place in my life and I'm claiming that sense of accomplishment in the sense that like, I, I don't have to do more to be where I need to be. I'm still going places, but things are working right now and I've gotten things to a, a good place. I want to keep going and I want to make them, you know, even more resilient and more sustainable and add more people to it. And there's still more to do, but I have this sense of that, like my, my 40s are a good time in that regard. And I'm, I'm claiming this decade as like being probably the best decade of my life so far. Love it. I'm definitely the most in charge of myself that I've ever been. Um, And I have the resources that I need to do the work that I want to do, which is a real blessing because for somebody that just loves to do projects and loves to do things, not having the resources to do those things is like cutting off an arm. Like at this point, I actually can, you know, if I need, uh, I'm, you know, if I want to make a video and I'm going to film something and I want a new microphone to go with it, I can get the microphone because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use it to do something that's going to pay back in the long run. There were points where I couldn't afford stuff like that. And it was hard, you know, feeling like you didn't have what you needed to create. Um, so I feel really blessed in that regard. So this is this is my decade. Like I'm making it happen. This this 10 years is good. Love it. Oh, and to- this is totally off topic, but I just flashed mm. to when you mentioned about doing skincare consultant consultations mm. for anybody who is l- listening interested. Is that ju- is that something like that anybody can like book through the website, or is that only in person? Um, no, we have that. It's it's not online, so we have um, a page you can reach it through. Actually, there, there's a banner on a lot of the pages on the website. Um, like as you're shopping, it'll be part way down the page, you know, Got looking it. for a category. But then there's also a link in the bottom bar, uh, and then there's just a form that you fill out that'll give our esthetician the initial information that she needs to be able to make recommendations. Um, and then she spends quite a bit of time, you know, sending back personalized recommendations and is that free then yeah it's all free Mm -hmm. amazing yeah because I think you know we talked about too with overwhelm it can be overwhelmed with brands but then even like yeah like if someone's bought a shopping okay I've heard this brand is made then the overwhelm of which products do I then spend my money on because you know they have value but then yeah this fear that they're not the right ones for you yeah that's an amazing um thing you always have to help Mm -hmm. people yep so yeah we love to just make sure that people are actually getting what's right for them. It's definitely not about more. It's about just what you need. And if we get a lot of people that like their skin might just want one product, like a face wash might be enough 
for their skin to be okay. Because like we work with a lot of people that are extremely sensitive and more is not better for very sensitive skin. Like you just want the right amount of stuff. So, you know, whether you just need a cleanser or whether you're like, I want six steps in my skincare routine, you know, <laughs> we can help with both of those. Um, and it is all designed around you because it's, it's not meant to just like sell people more stuff. It's to fit them with what they personally need. So we really try and listen in that process and then customize Love that. Well, thank you so much for your time and for committing to keeping your amazing brand going. (laughs) I'm glad it's benefiting people. I mean, it's, it's a joy getting to see it get out there to more and more hands. Um, I, and I know we can do more. I really hope you love that conversation. Of course, please, if you haven't yet go to blissoma.com and check out the products. You can take that little quiz that Julie talked about. They, If you enter, I believe your phone number or email in the box, they'll get, you get a free sample of the cleanser, the gel cleanser, which I use and love. I know how challenging it can be to like try something new. But again, these products blow me away and I see a difference in my skin immediately after using them every single time. So go check out Blissoma, go find more about Julie and on the Blissoma website, they sell other products and brands as well, which I think is super awesome, highly curated products that she believes in and would use herself. So that's also super cool. Again, I love hearing from you. Share the episode, hit me up. I'm at underscore Trisha Huffman and also at Claim It Podcast. I got at Your Joyologist too, which I mostly share about my products and my app. Um, Share the episode, leave a review, feel free to suggest guests. I'm not certain I'd be able to get them on my podcast, but I sure love being suggested and also like tag me in a comment if on somebody else's post. Like, I think you'd make a great podcast on Claim It Podcast. And I can see that that person will see it and see, oh, what's this Claim It Podcast? Oh, that looks interesting. So you may think that like you don't make a difference and people don't want to hear from you. But trust me, hearing from one person, even just one person is really helpful, right? Just like somebody opening the door for you, somebody letting your car go before them in traffic, whatever it is, those little things make a difference. So I just want to remind you, you make a difference. Whatever you do for your work, however much money you have in your bank account, no matter what size you wear, you make a difference. All right, again, thanks so much for listening and leave a review. And what are you claiming for yourself right now? It could simply be, I make a difference. I'm here on purpose. Claim that for yourself right now.